teamwork is what it's all about because you're not going to be able to get to 116 different locations. You're not going to be able to, to, to as I say, work without a team. And there's very little you, can achieve, you can't achieve without a good team. Do you know what? If you have the right team in the right places, and whether it's in sport, whether it's in politics, whether it's in business, whether it's in whatever, you know, if you have the right team working with you and you're all driven and aimed for the same goals, then, you know, there's very little you can't achieve. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome back to the Architects of Business on Joe, made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, where you hear the inspirational stories of some of Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Sonia Lennon and in this, the last of our current season, I speak with Pat McDonough, owner and founder of the ever popular Supermax and recently crowned EY's Industry Entrepreneur of the Year 2019. Pat, it's a pleasure to have you in the studio. The final guest of the season, 2019. Uh, pretty poignant given that 41 years on is when you get your award from EY as Industry Entrepreneur of the Year. Uh, that must have been quite a moment. Yeah, sure. It, it was uh, delighted to get it after 41 years. As I say, you don't go into business to get rewards. You go into business to kind of get customers. So, but at the same time, it's very nice and uh, fulfilling to be uh, honoured with an award like Entrepreneur of the Year for a business uh, and industry. So, yeah, I was delighted with it, as I say, because uh, when it's kind of given to you by your peers, it means so much more. And uh, I suppose, especially after 41 years, because uh, as anyone that's in business who starts off in business knows, there's a lot of trials and tribulations, there's a lot of... Uh, bumps and curves on the road to get through before you kind of uh, reach a point where you, you, you and you never can say that you're, you're there because there's always opportunities, there's always challenges, there's always um, uh, difficulties and mm. they vary from time to time as you go along in business. But after 41 years, yeah, really delighted. It's funny because I was there on the night and there was a, a sort of a very palpable feeling in the room uh, that made me think that if you hadn't got it, there'd have been a bit of a riot. <laughs> Everybody was rooting for you. Everybody wanted you to get it because you're, you're, you're iconic. Your brand is iconic. You're iconic as a figurehead um, in business. And to get that industry award just seemed appropriate. But what I would love to do is to take you back down memory lane a little bit and, and talk to you a little bit about your upbringing. Um, where did these seeds of entrepreneurship come from? Yeah, well, I was the youngest of, of five children and uh, my mother's a national teacher and my father was a, a member of the Garda Shikana. And so therefore I was brought up in a fairly civil service rooted background. Um, personally, I suppose, uh, I, I, I always had uh, a bit of an interest in, in business from the earlier years, but it wasn't academically awfully bright. I was uh, at a local secondary school first and after the first year there, the results necessitated serious action and uh, I was sent off to the Carmelite College in Moat where it was a boarding school and where uh, you had supervised study, etc. Um, so, but you said at that stage even uh, there was a, a kind of a, an interest in business. Wh where did that come from then? 
I'm not quite sure. I think, uh, you know, some of the teachers along the way kind of didn't uh, didn't think I was going to, to make it at anything <laughs> because they just liked the, 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 the sporting life and I suppose the, the, the good life a bit. And I worked at various uh, jobs up along uh, in both secondary school and, and third level. And the, you'll, you'll learn something from, from everyone and every job that you're in. And so there, that's the value of those summer jobs, whether it was working with a local farmer, working in Bournemouth, uh, working on, on, uh, on a ship off New York, working in uh, Butlin's holiday camp at the time. Uh, that was much before your time now. But working all these various jobs in a bar, whatever, it all taught you how to deal with people. And that's really what it's about, first of all. If you can kind of communicate, if you can work with people, if you can relate to them and they can relate to you, then, you know, it's a You've big step You've got a good start. Forward. You have a good start. And, and you're, you learn from the street. As I say, street education is, 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 is very valuable because you learn who, who, who to trust, who maybe not to trust. You learn the ins and outs of, 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 of salesmanship, etc. And... Um, you know, it's it's the as I call it, the the, the university of life is, is probably the best degree you'll ever get. It's funny because I heard somebody use a lovely phrase recently, which is learned intuition. So yes. the more exposed you are to experiences, the more you can trust your intuition because you're working, you're processing that experience and, and, and making a sort of a judgment on that. And I suppose that's that's what you must have seen, this sort of sense of, of, of the more you expose yourself to, the more you can know. Absolutely, because you're learning every day. Uh, my other used to say when we were young, uh, when you're old enough to die, you're wise enough to live. And uh, I suppose it meant that you were learning the whole time as you were growing up and uh, when you were kind of had probably uh, learned almost everything, you were ready to move on. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so did the Carmelites whip you into shape then? Uh, yeah, well, it, 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 I mean, the Carmelites uh, was a great experience as well in, insofar as like, it was very supervised, kind of, I won't say military-like, but... Not far uh, off it. Uh, you know, you got up at a certain time, you you went to, obviously to, to, to school at a certain time, you had study, you had games in the evening, and etc. So it was very kind of, I suppose, regimental in that yeah. sense. And uh, so it did teach you discipline and it did teach you kind of... Uh, you know, uh, to, to kind of use your time management much better than I had been up to that. Not that I'm still good at it, but uh, at any rate, yeah. And and uh, you're dealing with uh, guys from all over the country as well, and from from Northern Ireland even, etc. So uh, it was it was a good it was a good experience. I and, enjoyed and, it. And were your other siblings also sent to to? the Carmelite boarding school or were you the only one? Uh, the, my, my sisters went to a, a local secondary school uh, which was a boarding school as well, the Mercy Co- College in Lockray and uh, they were boarding there at the time or earlier than I was because mm. I was the youngest and then my brother was sent the same time as I was. Okay. He was um, he uh, had uh, done the junior search or whatever in, in the local secondary school and uh, so yeah, so that was the education was uh, that was hugely, the modus hugely in the impar- house. Hugely yeah. important as in a, in a in a in a you know a kind of a civil service background, uh, and and like the advice I suppose we all got was was going to the teaching profession or to a civil service job or whatever, and um, a, you know when I completed the leaving cert, I had three options. I could have gone into the army. I could have gone into. Uh, gone to college, gone to the UCG or in UIG is now called, or I could have gone teaching. Now, the reason I went teaching was it was only a two-year course at the time and it was <laughs> down in the Mary Immaculate College in Limerick. 
and there were 400 girls and about 40 fellas. So it was, it was an easy choice. <laughs> Efficiency and opportunity. <laughs> and it was only a two-year course at the time, so it was... Okay. It was, it was uh, so, yeah, having, having uh, as I say, enjoyed my two years there, I, I, I became principal of, of, of a, a school near Lockray in Kilrekel. How long and did it take you to become principal? Oh, I was for, straight out, I got principalship. Now, wow. hold on a second, there were only two teachers. And, <laughs> <laughs> and the other Still teacher, a strong career the other, progression. <laughs> the other teacher didn't want it, so it was Hilarious. easy enough to get it. Yes, Hilarious. Yes. But it, at that stage, uh, teaching was, was um, much probably easier than it is now. It's much more challenging, as I say, at the, at the minute, because you have a lot of... Uh, Kind of different situations and different challenges to face. Yeah. That stage, you know, it was it was uh, it was uh, much easier, as I say, than it is now. And I, I do uh, have a certain amount of sympathy with, when I hear teachers and hear, hear the stories they tell me at the moment yeah. and and the difficulties they have yeah. in relation to it. So, but as I say, that was the time and that was it. So, how long did you last as principal? Because you'd already reached the top of the rung, uh, <laughs> the top rung straight out of uh, Yeah, well, I was still um, uh, involved in a few bits and pieces and uh, I, I was a part-time photographer and uh, I was uh, worked in, uh, I was uh, locating pool tables at the time, which were the in thing. Uh, and, and that in, around in pubs and clubs around the, the country. I worked uh, in conjunction with a, a, a guy uh, called... Um, uh, brother of Pat Quinn called Brendan Quinn at the time and uh, or, or Fintan Quinn I should say and uh, uh, located those from and eventually he wanted to move on and uh, set up um, snooker halls in Dublin and uh, he sold me the uh, the business and uh, paid for it over a number of years and away we went then. Now, the, all these little entrepreneurial sidelines while maintaining your position as principal of the school, were they um, deliberately to supplement your income or was it just a drive to do that? Oh, yeah, well, sure, when you buy a car and you're only, whatever it was, 22, you have to pay for it somewhere. Yeah. And I, I kind of figure out I'd let the car pay for, for itself rather than me paying for it. So, yeah, it, was, it, was, uh, it helped supplement the uh, very, very, I suppose, challenges at the time uh, and various opportunities, I should say, not challenges, yeah. whether it was buying a car or buying a house or whatever. And, um, yeah, so though the, uh, as I said, uh, we, we, I did uh, a lot of uh, different jobs at the time and did, still did a, did a bit of uh, uh, work with the, the, the local farmer who, again, taught me a lot as well. And... Um, uh, yeah, and the variety of it was was like I mean, the good thing about teaching is, and at least at that stage was, and it probably still is, you have good long holidays, mm. and you have good time off in the evening. Now, probably teachers wouldn't agree with me now at the moment because they have a lot of preparation work to do. But at that stage, you had uh, uh, a lot of space, a lot of, a lot of space, yeah. yeah. And so, at what time, at what stage did the portfolio, entrepreneurship, and the teaching um, start to become? where you are today? I suppose it started by accident, really. It started, uh, I had, as I said, taken over the, the, the uh, pool table run and I thought the next best step was to open a pool hall. And um, as often happens, uh, you know, sometimes your, your, your best ideas don't always work out. And in this case, it didn't work out either because I opened the pool hall not knowing an awful lot about planning permission at the time. I could write a book on it now, but anyway. <laughs> uh, How many premises? A hundred and... 116. 116. Yeah. And, um, There's nothing you don't know about planning permission at this well, stage, I'd say. <laughs> you're, learning, you're learning every day. Uh, uh, so at any rate, um, the uh, 
hadn't got, of course, planning permission for it and didn't even know that you were supposed to get it. It was a, a, an old supermarket premises. Uh, ideal for for what I was doing and uh, divided into two halves and set uh, one half to the uh, local guy starting off as well, Michael Ward, and gla- gla- glad to see he's still thriving in Banlaslow there, and uh, opened the other half as, a, half as a, a pool hall. And of course, within weeks, uh, I got a letter from the council saying, you need a planning permission, etc., etc., which I applied for, but I was duly turned down. And so therefore, I had to go and look and see what Banlaslow needed at the time. And it, I thought it needed three things. I thought it needed a nightclub, a furniture shop, or a fast food restaurant. And we hadn't got the money for the nightclub and weren't going to get it from the bank uh, uh, either. And uh, I must tell you a story about purchasing that premises now in a, in a minute. And so therefore, the other option was a furniture shop or a fast food restaurant. And I opted for the fast food restaurant because I felt there was... Path enough. of least resistance. Yes. But in purchasing that premises, I, I, I thought I had a very good relationship with the bank. And... Um, I had, I think it was, uh, it cost 40,000 at the time, 40,000 pounds that was. And I had 10 and sometimes you put the cart before the horse. I figured, yeah, I have a good relationship here. So I went and bought the premises without necessarily acquiring the finance for it. Right. And to my surprise, uh, I was turned down on that as well. But sometimes it's good that you're challenged because I think you perform much better when your back is to the wall and you've nowhere to go. It certainly puts a timeline on things, doesn't it? Well, it it certainly (laughs) puts your focus into full attention. So I I, I went and Julie went to another bank and uh, didn't explain that. I didn't tell them that I had been uh, turned down by the other bank. But uh, I I told them what I was doing and and what I had planned to do, etc. And... um, they give me the, the, the money. So, uh, and it has happened in other situations since. So it's, it's, it's a good learning exercise. And it's where you kind of have to become creative. You have to kind of the belief in yourself. You have to believe in yourself when you're going in. And at that stage, I mean, uh, there was no such thing as fancy business plans or whatever. You kind of explained your case to the local bank manager and he decided took your chances took your chances yeah and it sounds to me and correct me if I'm wrong and doing you a disservice it sounds to me like this wasn't born of a passion project this was just born of of necessity necessity <laughs> absolutely and and I mean and how, how do you how do you tap into a vision then for something or how do you tap into even a starting point for something that is born of necessity how did you begin to create the brand I'll be honest with you I don't want to sound egotistic it didn't matter what you did at the time or I did at the time I was going to be successful at it and I don't want to sound egotistical because I think if it was a nightclub it would have been I think if I had gone into the Air Force which because of of my eyesight I was turned down on uh, I'd probably be something in aviation today I might be even challenging Michael O'Leary who knows uh, but or because Elon Musk. You're, 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 it's ambition it's a combination of ambition uh, it's a combination of hard work and it's a combination of uh, you know, your objectives. And I suppose the objective at the time was initially uh, at that stage in the business was to make money. Uh, that changes as you, go, uh, as you go along and you, 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 you obviously tweak your, tweak your ambition every so often and you tweak your vision, etc. So it's, but at that stage, that's what it was all about. And if you're uh, ambitious enough and if you set a vision, I suppose, for yourself, it doesn't matter what you go into, as long as you use common sense, you're fairly and work, hard. you're and work hard. 
your your you know your chances of success are, are pretty good. So when you opened that first premises, then um, had you already a sense at that stage that this was going to be a big thing? No, I hadn't really, because again, you know, you're working on a, on a on a very limited budget. Uh, I remember the caretaker in the school was the plumber, he was the carpenter, he was the tiler, and on the day we opened, he was down the back peeling potatoes and cutting chips. And uh, so we called in, called in every uh, favour that was owed to me, my brother, sisters or whoever, and uh, worked off that. And again, you're working, as I say, on a, on a very, very kind of limited budget and, and your back is to the wall. So therefore, you're, 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 you have to use all your experience available and assets. available assets that you can and get. Were you married at this, t- at this stage? No, I wasn't actually. But on the, on the um, I was still teaching. And... Uh, uh, you say it like the two are mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was teaching for the first couple of months until I decided, you know, you can't be working until two or three o'clock in the morning and still uh, uh, and, and, and going to class the next day. You weren't being fair to yourself or fair to the kids for that matter. So, yeah, no, I, I was uh, I was um, uh, still teaching at the time. And uh, one evening as I was heading into Ballinasloe, into do some of the, the work that was needed to be done before we opened. I gave this young lady a lift uh, and she was said she was finished college and she was looking for a summer job. So she got a summer job, but she also got a job for life. <laughs> we are going to take a short break and we're going to hear a little bit more about that job for life for both of you. Thanks, okay. Pat. Thank you. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. So one fortuitous pickup of a student uh, at the side of the road led to a lifetime partnership. Your wife is now working in the business. Well, my wife was always working in the business from the day that she started uh, back in whatever it was, 41 years ago in 79. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So as I say, she she was a great help starting off and uh, is still a great help today. She's probably what you might call deputy CEO but uh, yeah, it knows the business inside out and is probably much better manager than I am uh, because she'd have a lo- lot more um, a ability, to, I suppose, to manage, to kind of get the best out of staff, etc. Um, whereas I would have kind of more looking forward the whole time in the vision and trying to keep it, uh, keep keep things moving ahead of the posse, let's put it that way. But that is what makes a good business, is is knowing where your skills lie and, and making sure that they're being supplemented somewhere else. And I suppose, we, you know, none of us can be everything that a business needs. I, I gather from you that team and the people that you put around you are at the absolute critical core of everything you do. Oh, absolutely. And as I say, that's why it was great to, to, to get the award, because it's not it wasn't just for me, it was for the whole team. And some of them have been are, are with us, you know, 40 plus years. So um, that's yeah. some retention. It is. Yeah. And, 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 and obviously a, there's, 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 there's others that have moved on. So it's not just uh, for ourselves, as I say, that's this, this there, but also for the people that that helped to grow the business over the years and moved on. And in a lot of cases moved on to open their own businesses and, and uh, are very successful at it out there. So. Yeah, but it's it's teamwork is what it's all about because you're not going to be able to get to 116 different locations. You're not going to be able to 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 as I say work without a team. And there's very little you can achieve you can't achieve without a good team. 
you know what? If you have the right team in the right places, and whether it's in sport, whether it's in politics, whether it's in business, whether it's in whatever, you know, if you have the right team working with you and you're all driven and aimed for the same goals, then, you know, there's very little you can't achieve. And that, I suppose, in the light of your own particular challenges that you faced in your business, which have been sizable. You you took on one of the big, biggest companies in the world to to have the right to use your name. Absolutely, yeah, because, um, you know, we felt uh, that when we went for the European trademark, we were entitled to, to get it as anyone else would. And uh, this had happened with some other businesses before that in relation to different uh, companies. And uh, uh, in, in, in some cases, they, in most cases, actually, they lost. Um, and, and in some cases, there was a compromise reached. Um, but uh, we felt, as I said, that, that anyone that wants to open a business, it doesn't matter whether it's a food business or whether it's a manufacturing business or whatever, that should be entitled to uh, to do do whatever they, they so wish without being like, I mean, uh, when we applied for the trademark, we realised there was 845 or whatever other trademarks that were restricting uh, our progression. Now, a lot of those were what you might call um, just in storage because they were never used, never going to be used ice, or whatever. Yeah. So uh, at any rate, uh, we obviously um, applied first and, and then uh, it was appealed and uh, we lost the initial appeal. We applied again, learned from our mistakes and again moved on from there and got it right the second time and uh, did make the case that uh, you can't be hoarding trademarks if you're not going to use them. And basically, the uh, trademark office in uh, Alicante agreed with us. So uh, that's really where, where, where the, the, the game was won. But it was not just there. It was the team that we had kind of uh, put around ourselves and, 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 and made up uh, that, that really won it for us. And a lot of those are, are our own employees. We, of course, we had uh, a trademark lawyer with us as well. And uh, uh, we had one or two other consultants kind of helped us out in it. But uh, relatively speaking, we... It was an internal team driving that. And, and just to be clear, so so this was a, a challenge by McDonald's, which resulted in them having to relin- relinquish the European trademark on Big Mac. Is that right? Well, basically, it's, 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 it's what it did was allow us to uh, open our business anywhere else in the EU uh, besides Ireland. And with tra- uh, trademark protection, with trademark protection, yes. And um, now it's 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 a, it's under appeal at the minute, uh, but we're quite confident we we won the second round. We're quite confident that we'll we'll succeed in the. In and the is that the well. plan then to 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 move forward yeah, and march we'll, into we'll, Europe? We'll we'll well we'll we'll take it slowly because um, a, you're in a very unusual kind of environment at the moment in business, and uh, uh, it's probably uh, across Europe. Uh, business is getting challenged from every angle, if you know what I mean, whether it's in Ireland, whether it's through um, insurance, for example, mm. whether it's through planning well, I, wa- permissions, I want to whether talk to you about that because you, you have become um, very much a figurehead in, in challenging uh, the insurance companies around the cost of insurance to, to business in Ireland. Um, a, a very important role for a lot of business owners who are really struggling. Um, how important is that to you and what sort of challenges has, has it presented to you along your journey? Well, I suppose back 15 or 16 years ago, yes, it was a major 
major challenge, still is. Um, and it was addressed at the time uh, by uh, the former Minister, Minister McDowell and former Minister Mary Harney, who did a, a good job in it and set up the Personal Injuries Assessment Board to deal with claims that were uh, justified by, you know, in, insofar as there are accidents, let's, let's be honest with you, accidents do happen, and that could be settled without huge legal costs and, and, and the costs of all other extras involved as well, let's put it that way. Um, and that worked really well for a few years and then it was challenged by the Law Society because they wanted to have their legal representation in it and after uh, 21 judicial reviews, and I emphasise the 21 because normally you, you, you get a judicial review on something and it's probably at most one, if not two, at, uh, certainly at most. Uh, but this took 21 judicial reviews until they got the, the law kind of changed so that they would have representation uh, in, 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 in the uh, Injuries Assessment Board. Mm. And that changed the whole landscape again because then you had all the costs involved. And so, uh, unfortunately, the uh, Injuries Assessment Board only became really a valuation uh, service for the, 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 the claimants uh, because when they went back to their uh, legal advisors, they would naturally advise them to take it to court because yeah. it was going to be more uh, fees for them in it. So, look, it has gone to a scale that it's pretty much uh, nearly out of control. And if it were any other business or if it was any other situation like that in Ireland, I think there would be a massive public inquiry into what has happened here, what has gone wrong, why are we paying uh, four times what they pay in the UK for uh, for public injuries, and, and why are, are we paying huge premiums? And is there is there a fix in sight? Do you think? Oh look, I mean, uh, if there was a willpower there for for it to be fixed, it could be fixed very very quickly. Um, in the Civil Liabilities Act of two thousand and four, which was instituted back at that at that stage, um, there's there's so many different aspects to that that have never been applied. There's a, a register of claimants that by the courts. Uh, that was never applied, that has never been put in place. Um, there's also, uh, you had to uh, notify the defendant or the business of your injury within two months if it hadn't been notified prior to that. That has been never uh, really, uh, it has been enacted, but it hadn't been implemented had been or implemented, enforced. enforced. Um, and obviously there was the, the, the there's a, a, another section that uh, in, in, in that liability act that states that if the judge feels that it's a fraudulent case, they can refer it to the Gardaí for investigation. I think that happened three times in wow. 15 years. Uh, and that's only in the last couple of months that it re has really happened. So, yeah, so there was a, a situation that uh, basically everybody was, was winning except the insured party and they were paying the piper for everything. So you had the legal profession, you had the insurance companies, you had various other, whether it be brokers, whether it be medical people, etc., all benefiting from yeah. it. But at the end of the day, uh, it was the person who had the policy, the business who had the policy or, or whatever else, the school or whatever, was going to be paying the price for it. Um, how do you think, um, and by your own admission, this stealthy and slow expansion of the business um, is something that's happening um, in your own time? Uh, the people that are networked with you now through that programme are, are global businesses in a lot of cases. Where do you see the benefits for Supermax and for Pat? 
Oh, look, uh, I've met, made many friends over the last six months. Many I've, 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 I've seen on various uh, media, whether it be TV, uh, the, the print media or whatever, and some of whom you would never have the opportunity of meeting if you, if you weren't in the EY programme. So, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, at this stage you could call them friends because you can pick up the phone and ask them something if you're not too sure of it yourself or vice versa. And, uh, you know, it helps one another, the help, we help one another out. Um, because obviously sometimes, and, you know, uh, in, in business you're very isolated. You know, it's sometimes a lonesome place to be because, yeah. um, you, you know, people might think that, you know, look at all the whatever it is, three and three and a half thousand employees, and uh, you know you're not going to be stuck for someone to get a bit of advice from. But it doesn't always work that way because some of the challenges that that, that you're faced with aren't necessarily what the common uh, the com- common people would would. I don't mean common people, but no. But there's a particular set of challenges. Would, would, yeah. Would kind of. Uh, uh, encounter on a daily basis. So it's only people that are maybe in the same position that you can uh, give a call to or send an email to or whatever and get their advice on it. So in that sense, it has been fantastic. Because um, in this season of Architects of Business, 19 entrepreneurs have sat on that couch before you. And the one thing that they say in common is that there is a sort of a cabal of honesty around that network that you you can speak openly about the challenges because I suppose there's no new problems in business. They've all been had before in different ways. Oh, of course. And but, you know, the, 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 the opportunities and the challenge present themselves every so often. They might change after a few years, uh, but they come back to, to the opportunity that, uh, that, that presents itself. And, you know, there's plenty of opportunities I've encountered over the number of years. Sometimes I've been able to take it, sometimes I, I haven't. Um, but also plenty of challenges out there. And it's how you deal with those and how you deal with the... And there are, as I say, they're varying. I suppose the challenge in most business nowadays is, is, is getting staff, getting people, yeah. because we're nearly at full employment. Um, and so therefore, and a service business isn't necessarily the most attractive business in the world because it's unsociable hours, it's hard work. And um, sometimes it's, 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 it's as, as I say, challenging. So... Um, yeah, so those are the challenges that are that you're faced with nowadays, and they change from can be different at different times. You know, uh, planning permissions has always been a kind of a, a, a <laughs> sore point. Sore point. <laughs> um, and and the amount of time you waste in 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 dealing with red tape, yeah. um, which wasn't there so much, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Um, but that's the that's the that's the that's the the the, the the name of the game at the minute, and then you have to deal with that, and you have to deal with whatever issues that 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 present itself from that. But as I say, never I think in the history of the world was there as much opportunity because you've 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 everything at your fingertips now. You know, you've communication, you've travel, you've opportunity technology. and technology. So. I mean, the world is your oyster. If you were starting off, if you were starting off again, I'd be, I'd be really excited. I don't think you're finished, though. I think that's the thing, you know. And I, I really, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't talk about your sponsorship of the GAA throughout your time in Supermax. I think it's a big part of of who you are and who the company is. 
Yeah, well, coming from a, a pretty rural background, obviously, GA is a big part of 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 of, of your upbringing, and uh, you know that's how I got the name Super Mac when I played a bit of. Tell uh, us that story. I love that uh, story. Uh, played a bit of um, uh, f- uh, football in secondary school because I come from a mainly hurling area, but in, in the Carmel College, uh, it was all football, and so therefore I had to to adapt to the football scene. And uh, after one of my better games, uh, let's put it that way, one of the the guys on the sideline uh, christened me Super Mac. And Super Mac at the time was a soccer player who, Malcolm MacDonald, who played for England and uh, he played for uh, Arsenal and Newcastle and still has the um, uh, uniqueness of having scored five goals in an international. Uh, so uh, after one of those games, as I say, I think it was against St. Charles at Tuma at the time, I got, became christened uh, or nicknamed Super, Super Mac. So therefore, it was a natural transition going Brilliant. into the food business that that's the name you used. Um, so as I say, sometimes it's opportun- opportunistic like that that you, 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 you uh, avail of what has happened maybe in the past to yeah. propel you into the future. I know the position that you hold wherever Supermax is in the communities that you serve is uh, is pretty exalted through through the work that you do with the GAA in the communities and also through the, the jobs that you're providing in those areas. Pat, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, once again, congratulations on your award. My pleasure and thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Joe's Architects of Business, made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Thanks to the full team here at Maximum Studios and, of course, to our guest, Pat McDonough. That's all from us now at Architects of Business. Thanks for tuning in and listening to these incredible stories of some of Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. And thanks, of course, to all our guests for taking the time to be with us. I'm Sonia Lennon. Take care and Merry Christmas. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs.